In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Was January 30th, 1649, when King Charles I of England was led from the banqueting hall in Whitehall, London, out to a scaffold that had been specially made for his execution. Unlike the French who deposed their king before they executed him, the English executed their king still uh, as their king, as their um, rightful um, monarch. He was let out on a very cold uh, January morning, and uh, Charles had that morning said his confession. He had received Holy Communion from his priest. He was uh, devout, and it was indeed his devotion that led him to his death. He had agreed upon almost all the demands of his parliament, except for the removal of bishops. He wouldn't go far as to make England Presbyterian, but he stood by uh, the rightful um, place of bishops in the church. And for this, among other reasons, they led him to the scaffold. Because he wouldn't have the benefit of a cloak as he was to be beheaded, uh, Charles dressed himself in several extra undershirts so that he wouldn't shiver and allow the crowd to think that he was a coward. But he went to his death with boldness and with courage. But for English-speaking peoples, the killing of a monarch and the reign of parliament and the democracy that came after it and indeed that that swept through Europe and Asia afterwards, the idea of having a king over us um, can be slightly distasteful and uh, even Christ as king seems a little bit archaic to our modern minds. And if we don't really think about what it means that he is our king and our God, and if we don't really think what it means that we are subjects, we will miss much of the meat of the gospel. Indeed, it is as subjects, it's as uh, meek sheep that we're described by Ezekiel in chapter 34. Uh, the sheep, if you will, is a, a docile animal. Uh, the sheep uh, is sometimes foolish or even stupid. Uh, the sheep is constantly finding itself in danger and has to be helped out. And this is not a popular animal for people to associate themselves with, right? We like to think of ourselves as tigers or as some kind of a, of a, of a prey animal, right? A predator animal and not as prey like a sheep. Uh, and in fact, uh, the, the warning of the shepherd and the sheep uh, from Ezekiel 34 is uh, where we went for the founding of Jesus the Good Shepherd and uh, if maybe I had really been thinking it through, I might have never even suggested this passage in our first meeting. Maybe I would have suggested the shepherd imagery from John. Uh, his shepherd imagery is much more beautiful. It's much more, um, uh, you know, kind of kind and gentle. This shepherd and sheep imagery is really tough uh, to look at. Ezekiel 34, 16 is where we get the purpose statement for Jesus the Good Shepherd. He says, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And these are the four groups of people that we've focused on, and we've thought about, and we've prayed about as we're Jesus the Good Shepherd. We're creating a green pasture, a place where we can welcome in, and we can offer the sacraments for the healing and the welcoming of the sick and the injured. This is supposed to be a safe place where we invite people in to meet the Lord and to receive his grace and his mercy. 
And if we just stopped there, it would be a real comforting passages. Um, except there's another half to the verse. The fat and the strong I will destroy. Gulp. That's a tough one to take in. The fat and the strong, those who have extra, those who have enough, those who have an abundance, those who have been given gifts of strength and of abundance have something required of them, right? They are required to serve and they will be judged according to what they've been given. And so we, again, at Jesus the Good Shepherd, have been given his grace, we've been given his mercy, we've been given his strength, and we've been given abundance, and the expectation is that we'll use that in the service of those who are in need, in service of those who cannot defend themselves. We're protectors. And this is the, the radical nature of the gospel, that we're both sheep, we're being invited in as these sheep, and we're called in healing to become shepherds. We have this radical invitation of the Lord to be sheep who are being healed and to answer the call as shepherds, that we too are being um, healed as we are healing and as we are ministering to those who are in need. We're in both places at the same time. And when we do that, when we do that, we have to be aware that there will be a separation, that there will be a judgment, that God comes to judge between the sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. And he talks about how some have treaded down the grass and have muddied the waters. Now, what does he mean by this? What is the image that's being created here? The image that's being created is, are we receiving these blessings without um, being careful about how it is that we um, minister to them or how it is that we offer them to others? The example that we're setting. See, when we accept the gospel of Christ, people look at us, they look at our lives, and when we minister in this place, people look to see how are you living and how are you acting. Indeed, how we live and how we act is so important because it's a reflection upon the God who we serve. And if we're living lives that are not honest, if we lie when it's convenient, if we cheat when it's convenient, if we um, dissemble when it's convenient, if we allow ourselves to have hurt feelings and make that an excuse to not do the work that God has given us to do, or we're looking for reasons to not do that work, then we're mudding the waters, we're trampling the grass, we're not presenting a good pasture, wherein we're inviting people to come and receive the Lord's blessing, but we're muddying it with our own selfishness and our own insecurity and with our own greed. And so we need to be careful that we are reflecting, we're reflecting God's love and his desire to serve those who are in need. Indeed, this is a central aspect of Jesus' gospel and this um, really um, radical um, ultimate example that he gives here is the pinnacle of his teaching in Matthew chapter 25. This is the end of his long discourse that he's given while he's in the temple precincts. You remember that he enters into the city of Jerusalem, that he cleanses the temple, that he um, goes back into the temple precincts, and he has these discussions with the religious leaders of the day, and he sets them straight on who God is and on the gospel, and he teaches them all the way up until this final teaching about his coming again in power and great glory. Chapter 26 begins with the, uh, with the, the Last Supper and with um, his arrest and betrayal by Judas. So this is the end, the ultimate um, passage of his uh, teaching, and he starts out by talking about the second coming, and Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. 
Now, this, this description of the Son of Man might be kind of confusing unless you had read um, Daniel. And if you've read the book of Daniel, his reference to himself as the Son of Man becomes very clear. Daniel, remember, was in, um, was in exile in Babylon. And while he's in Babylon, he's looking towards Jerusalem. He's praying towards the east, and he's looking out over the great river of Babylon. And he sees, he has this vision, he says, as one who comes as the Son of Man. In other words, he sees a, a human-like figure that's in the sky, that's robed in fire, and, and who has um, coming in this great power and glory. And, and, and Daniel falls, he trembles, um, and he falls down before this image. This is the description, this one like the Son of Man who comes in great power and glory that Jesus uses to describe himself. He says, I am that one that Daniel saw who was coming to judge the world. And he says he is going to come with angels and with his glorious throne, right, robed in his majesty and glory, and that he's coming to be a shepherd who judges. He's coming to be a shepherd who judges, and he's going to judge between the sheep and the goats. Now, as we've said, the sheep are these docile animals who, who are um, sometimes stupid, who need this kind of um, help and guidance, while the goat is a very precocious animal, right? The goat... Um, has some kind of instinct and has some kind of um, natural ability to fend for itself and to find its own food. Um, and it often will eat through things it's not supposed to and break through um, the, the fences that are set around it. And the sheep will follow the goats if they're pinned together. They'll follow the, the goats as the goats lead them astray. And this is the danger that we have. We have to be aware of goats that are among us. Goats that say, oh, I have some special knowledge or I have some special ability and and those goats who get us distracted upon the things that are, that are not of God. And I think that you will find um, as you look and you see people that talk about um, these prophecies and these great wonders and they try to tell you they know when Jesus is going to come or that they can read the signs better than other people can read. The thing I think that, um, that organizes all these people and keeps them together is they don't talk about humility. They don't talk about humility and the simplicity of daily living in the gospel. They try to tell you that having some kind of special knowledge and some special kind of insight is what's important rather than a life that's spent in humility and in service. And this is the distinguishing mark that Jesus gives. He says some people are going to serve those who are in need, are going to lay down their lives for those who cannot defend themselves, and some people aren't. And that's it. Some people serve those who are in need, and some people don't. And this is the question before us. Will we submit ourselves in humility or won't we? And those who choose to serve themselves or to, to take power for themselves are choosing the way of Satan and his angels. And he's very clear about this. He says that hell is a place made for Satan and his angels. It's not made for people. And anyone who tries to say that hell was made for people or people for hell are confused and aren't reading the gospel in its plain sense. We are not meant or made for hell. But we can choose it. We can choose it through selfishness. Our God is a gentleman who will allow us to choose what we want. And if we want to choose selfishness and to hold ourselves over others and think ourselves better than others, we'll get what we ask for. But if we humble ourselves and we're willing to serve those in need, 
then we choose the way of Christ. We choose the gospel. We choose to serve the least. And then he says, we will receive eternal life. For we were prepared for eternal life from the foundation of the world. We were meant for heaven. And in all things, we have to be focused upon this hope of heaven and Christ coming again in great power and glory. It has to be our hope, our desire, and that for which we look. This is what St. Paul describes in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, starting at verse 20. He talks about Christ being the first fruits. First fruits means there is some to come. There's some to follow. So if we recognize that Christ is the first fruits, then we're looking for that which is to follow. We're looking to see what comes next. Christ has been raised from the dead. Who's next? Christ has been raised from the dead. Who will be raised again? And he says that it is coming for those who belong to Christ. Those who are with Christ, who are subjected to him, who accept being subjects that all will be made alive and that we will benefit by his destroying death. And then he has this radical sentence here where he uses this word subjection over and over again. You heard that in the reading? God puts all things in subjection. All things are put in subjection. He put all things in subjection. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected. The Son himself. That's crazy. He's God. God himself will be made subject? This is the life of the Holy Trinity, the mystery. The, the Son eternally loves the Father, and the Father eternally loves the Spirit, and the Spirit eternally loves the Son, and the Son and the Spirit choose to be eternally subject to the Father. They choose to eternally subject themselves, to humble themselves, to lower themselves before the Father. The Son chooses to lower himself, though being in majesty, though being in great glory, though being one with the Father, though being co-eternal with the Father, he chooses to submit himself in humility to the Father in eternity. And this is the radical invitation that we have to submit ourselves to our God and soon coming king. Christ will come again. He will come again in power. He will come again in glory. And our willingness to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves before him, is the choice that is before us today. The truth of the matter is, all Christians are monarchists. We all believe in a king. We all submit ourselves to a king and to his kingdom. And when we do, we submit ourselves to a law of love where we refuse to hate our enemies, but to seek in every way, in every opportunity to love them and to serve them. And this makes us ideal subjects, no matter the law, no matter the political party, no matter the country, no matter the language, because we are submitted to God and his service in love.
Christ will come again. Hallelujah.